All right, let's go back to uh, Genesis 13 this morning. And this chapter introduces us to the first of three stories concerning the relationship between Abraham and his nephew Lot. A number of biblical themes appear in this initial narrative. For instance, we see the material blessing of God upon Abraham and those who are affiliated with him. We see the quality of being a peacemaker as Abraham resolves a dispute between his and Lot's servants. And we see the promise of God to bless Abraham is restated once again, along with a theme of the seed, which goes back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. But the central idea we want to focus on this morning has to do with important choices in life. Abraham proposed a solution to strife that involved choices. In order to quell the feud that was rising over the grazing lands and the watering holes between Abraham and Lot's flocks and herds, he gave Lot the opportunity to choose where he would like to live. And doing so, Abraham himself was making a choice to trust God for the outcome. As the story unfolds, we see that Lot chose what he thought was best for himself. One commentator concluded that he headed off for the good life. And that brought to my mind this observation. Are we choosing the good life or the God life? Pursuit of the good life is ingrained in our nature. We all want the best out of life. We want comfort. We want security. We want profitability and happiness. Most of us want our children and our grandchildren to be better off than we are. The good life, the best life, the least problematic life, what we perceive to be the happiest is part of the natural man. Lot chose what he perceived to be the good life, what he thought would be best for him and his family, But it proves to be a very poor choice because in the end, we will find that Lot has nothing. In contrast, Abraham chooses the God life. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, this is the life that answers the call of God to follow him. It's the life that believes what God promises. It's the life that is ruled by the Lord that worships him and is loyal to him. Sometimes we may get out of the path of life temporarily like Abraham did, but eventually we get back to where we belong. When we choose the good life, we may experience temporal gain, but in the end, we forfeit spiritual blessing. When we choose the God life, We remain in the path of blessing, not just for time, but for eternity. So as we look at this passage this morning, let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, once again, we are thankful that we have your word today, that things that happened even thousands of years ago are still pertinent today. 
And help us, Lord, to realize once again that what the world perceives as a good life is not necessarily the same as what you say is the good life. Lord, help us to realize that uh, the best life one can have here and for all of eternity is indeed the God life. Help us, Lord, to submit to your word today and use it, Lord, for your purposes, whatever we need. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Well, the first thing I want us to see this morning in the first few verses of chapter 13 is that Abraham returns to the God life. Now, just by way of review, you remember that Abraham, in chapter 12, went down in Egypt. And he went more than just traveling south. He really went down in his walk with God. And you remember that he made a choice to go to Egypt in a time of crisis. A severe famine came to the promised land, the land of Canaan. The watering places dried up. The grazing lands withered away. The situation was dire. It was life-threatening. Egypt was known as the breadbasket of the world back then. And the annual flooding of the Nile provided an irrigation system uh, that supported crop growth without depending on the rain. Abraham reasoned at that time that the best life, the good life, the provision for life uh, resided in Egypt rather than Canaan. And there's no mention that Abraham considered the Lord in the choice he made to go down into Egypt. You'll remember that he, when he first came into Canaan, he built an altar and he worshiped the Lord. When he went from that point to Bethel and Ai, he did the same thing. But when he went into Egypt, there's no constructing of an altar. There's no calling upon the Lord. There's no mention of even inquiring of the Lord or worshiping him. And we know that the Lord had to intervene in that situation to save his wife, Sarah, and get Abram back up to the promised land where he belonged. So Abram, in chapter 13, now he went up from Egypt. He got out of Egypt. And this depicts his return to Canaan, the God life, a return to faith. In spite of his failure in Egypt, God still fulfilled his promise to bless him, though, didn't he? Now, for the first time, you look at verse 1 here, or rather verse 2, we see that Abram is now rich. That word rich is interesting. It means to be weighty. The idea of being weighed down with something, in this case, riches, we would say today that Abraham was loaded. And so he added to his livestock now silver and gold, precious commodities uh, even today, that are used for trading, buying, and selling. And we're also informed in these first four verses that Lot is with him. And it seems that Lot also traveled to Egypt, and he returns with Abraham out of Egypt, and Lot becomes now a main figure in the narrative. Abraham journeys from the south back up to Bethel in verse 3, where he started out in the first place. He goes back to the beginning, where he was before the Egypt incident. 
He went back to the place of the altar, and once again he calls upon the name of the Lord in verse 4. Now this, no doubt, uh, would involve sacrifice, worship. I'm sure that Abraham thanked the Lord for delivering him out of the predicament back in Egypt for giving him all this great wealth which he did not deserve. And surely he sought the Lord's forgiveness and a renewed relationship. Now all of us have probably experienced such times in our own lives. We came to a point of crisis. We tried to resolve something our own way only to make matters worse. Or we made a choice that moved us away from the Lord and closer to the world. Or we simply went our own way without consulting the Lord and his guidance. There are many ways that we can leave the God life and choose what we think is the good life. But as soon as the Lord sends us something to wake us up, as soon as we recognize the error of our ways, we need to head back to where we got off the path in the first place and get back on the God life. That's what Abraham did, and that's what we need to do as well. Now, in the next section, beginning with verse 5, we see a contrast between the good life represented by Lot and the God life represented by Abraham. And there's a contrast here very, very clear to us. Now, let's first of all look at the verses 5 through 7. We see the crisis that initiates the choices. And it's interesting how often a critical situation has a bearing on choices that we make. God uses those incidents to test our faith, uh, to test our loyalty, to help us to grow in our trust of the Lord. Abraham failed the first test in the crisis of famine, but he's learned his lesson well. Now, we see in verse 5 that Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. So he is growing in material wealth as well. And we've already seen that God promised to bless those who bless Abraham and to curse those who cursed Abraham or mistreated him. And this indicates to us that Lot's wealth is at least partially due to his close association with his uncle, and it mentions here, we might think it a little funny, it mentions tents. Now, you know that nomadic people, especially in that day, lived in tents. That was their home. But what you may not have thought about is this, that Abraham and Lot, when you consider their whole household, probably had thousands of people with them. Now, when we come to the next chapter, we're going to find that when uh, Lot is taken captive, Abraham goes gets him with 318 of his chosen servants, the ones that are best and trained for war. And if each one of those servants had a wife and one or two children, you're already above a thousand people. And these are only some of his servants, not all of them. And I'm sure that... Uh, Lot's household was uh, near that as well. So we're talking about a fairly large group of people as well as all the things that they owned. 
But the extreme wealth and size of their household now begins to pose a serious problem for them because the land is not able to support them that they can dwell together. Their possessions are so great that they're going to have to make some kind of a separation. The result of this is squabbling and feuding between the servants of both parties over the watering places, the grazing land. Uh, Sometimes prosperity can pose problems for us as much as poverty does. So how is this crisis going to be resolved? The two parties can't remain in the same area. And incidentally, it mentions in the last part of verse 7, the Canaanites and the Perizzites again. These were the native people of the land. I'm sure they far outnumbered Abraham and Lot. But you can imagine you're a new group coming into this area. Uh, you're far outnumbered. These people also have flocks. They also have herds. And they're using up the... Uh, uh, the commodities of the land as well. So you've got to vie with them, and now there's problems even coming with the people that uh, you're related to. So we have a problem here that Abraham comes up with a good solution, a godly solution. So let's take a look at that in verses 8 and 9. Abraham's solution evidences the God life And there's a couple of qualities here that really show us what the God life is, how it works out in relationships. We're told in verse 8, So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. So first of all, the God life promotes peace between brethren. Abraham doesn't want any strife or feuding to continue between he and his nephew Lot. Uh, They're closely related. The term brother is used here in the sense of a a close relative. Of course, they weren't brothers. Uh, Abraham was the brother of Lot's father, Nahor, who, who had died already. And it seems at this point they had a good relationship, maybe almost like a father-son relationship with each other, and they mutually respected each other. And as the elder, Abraham initiates a way to keep peace and maintain this good relationship. And we know that in the Bible, peace is a major theme. The Lord Jesus came to make peace between us and God. Those who receive him are supposed to be people characterized by peace. They try to get along with other people. Uh, They try to spread the gospel of peace. They have an obligation to promote and maintain peace in the body of Christ. And in order to do this, we often have to be willing to humble ourselves and give up our perceived rights in order to keep peace with others. And that's what Abraham is attempting to do here. He wants there to be a peaceful relationship, and he has a way uh, to make that possible. And verse 9, we see that God, the, the God life, also puts others before self. He says in verse 9, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. So he's giving Lot a choice. Uh, 
a privilege, really, of choosing the part of, of the land that he would desire. Now, remember, they're situated at this point at Bethel and Ai. This is uh, north of where uh, Jerusalem uh, currently lies, and it's a hilly area, so there's a lot of elevated places there. And I would imagine that they are on one of these heights where you can look and you can see a large portion of the land that God promised to Abraham. And uh, as we go down here, we see that they must have been looking toward the east, or at least Lot was. And if they were facing that direction, uh, if Lot were to go to the left, he'd be going north. He'd be going north uh, of Bethel and Ai, uh, up as far as Lebanon. And then if he chose the other direction, he'd be going south from that point to the Negev or the drier lands. And he has a choice to go either way. So it seems to be that Abram's purpose is for Lot to stay with him in the promised land, but they had to separate themselves in order to make provision for all of their goods. And as the elder, as the leader, Abraham actually had the right of choice. But he deferred his right in order to maintain peace with Lot. And his magnanimous proposition indicates his faith in God's original promise. Didn't matter if he got what would be considered the best land or the poorest land, he believed that God would take care of him in the land. He learned that lesson after going down to Egypt. He believed that if he trusted the Lord, it didn't really matter where he lived because the Lord promised this land to him. So his willingness to give Lot the choice was based on the God life, the life of faith, the life of trusting the Lord. And Abraham was learning that the best life possible is independent of material wealth and possessions, that the God life is really the best life. Now, let's take a look at how Lot chooses. Lot's choice evidences the good life, but not necessarily the best life in verses 10 through 13. And we see again some characteristics of people who live by the good life motto, we could say. And the first thing is this. The good life is based on sight, not necessarily faith. In verse 10, we're told, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. So Lot is looking up toward the Jordan River Valley. Now the Jordan River Valley was not north, it wasn't south, it was east. So he's looking to the east. He's looking to a, a lush land, a land where you're not going to have to worry about the rains, which incidentally you have to depend upon God to do that. Uh, he's looking at a place where there's going to be plenty of grass, plenty of water, and he's going to prosper in that direction. But at best, the Jordan River Valley was at the very edge of the promised land, and if you crossed it, you were out of the promised land. It mentions here 
that uh, uh, you, you, you go south of the Dead Sea and you come to Zoar. That's on the way to Egypt. Zoar is going to come to play later on in these narratives of Lot. And he's able to see, perhaps not all that way down there, but he can see that this whole area is going to be a great place to raise his flocks and, and herds. And notice how it describes this land. It was like the garden of the Lord. It was like uh, the land of Egypt that doesn't really need to depend upon the rains either. So it's, it's a great place in his sight for taking his people and his goods and going there to live. But you know, we have a really ominous note, don't we? You see the parentheses in your Bible there uh, in verse uh, 10? Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's looking in that direction. He's moving in that direction. But we have a little hint here of something ominous. This is a time where Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain are really getting along well. Uh, it's a place you might want to go to. <clears throat> and the destruction has not yet occurred. So little red flags are going up to the reader as the author Moses puts all of this together. Um, how many times do we move away from the God life because we're tempted by what we see? So often our sight stirs up covetous desires. We're tempted to have more and more stuff that we don't really need, and it's going to end up in a storage place somewhere. We think we need it now, so we want it now, and we do what we can to get it now. Lot based his choice on what he saw, the best possibility for the good life. We also see in verse 11 that the good life is based on self. In verse 11... Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. Okay, that's what he chooses. All the plain of Jordan. And then he journeyed east. So he's making the choice for himself. He's not really thinking about Uncle Abraham. And again, be reminded, Abraham is the elder. In that society, it was important to defer to the elder, not the other way around, as Abraham had done here. So he chooses on the basis of what he thinks is the best for him, not for Abraham. But his choice for the material good life involves moving away from the Lord and the land of blessing. Lot journeyed in what direction? eastward. Now, does that ring a bell in our study in Genesis? What in Genesis does east speak of figuratively? When God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, which direction did they go? They went east of Eden 
away from the Lord, away from the place of their original blessing. When Cain rose up and slew his brother Abel, where did he move? He moved eastward to the land of Nod, and he built a city there. When the Tower of Babel was constructed, what direction were the people moving? They were moving eastward, away from the ark, away from Noah, away from blessing. And now we see Lot following the same direction, away from God, away from Abraham, away from the land of promise, because he looked up and he saw that that was the best place for him. He's moving unknowingly away from God. East is movement away from the Lord and his blessing. Selfish choices based on sight move you farther away from the Lord, even when you think you're making the best choice. And the last thing we find here, the good life often compromises with sin and the sinful. Look at verse 12. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. He stayed in the land of promise. He stayed where God said he's supposed to be. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pinched his tent even as far as Sodom. Now, we don't exactly know where this area was, but most uh, scholars believe, as I do, that it was on the southern end of the Dead Sea, which at that time would have been very uh, prosperous, uh, like the northern part of the Jordan Valley. And these cities were down there, uh, and civilization was there, other people were there, trade was there. Uh, things that would have been attractive. And so he moves east, then he moves farther south, and he ends up in this great area for his cattle, for his family, near the cities. And have you noticed that in Genesis, building a city is not a really great thing? Uh, The first civilization against God came through Cain, who built a city trying to defy God's uh, uh, judgment on him of being a wanderer. Well, I'm not going to wander. I'm going to build a city. I'm going to try to stay right here. And then we go to the cities of the, uh, of the, uh, 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 the Fertile Crescent, where the Tower of Babel was built, and civilizations were started there by Nimrod, the great hunter in the face of the Lord. And uh, God had to judge them. Now we come to another place where there are all kinds of cities constructed and we're going to find out that it wasn't a real great idea for Lot to move there. Notice what it says about these people. Verse 13. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Here again we have a group of people against God. And they weren't just normally sinful like all of us are when we're born and as we go through life these people were exceedingly wicked and sinful and we all know that some people are more obviously sinful than others and these people were of that category and we'll find that as we go later on but again profoundly sinful people so he moves away from abraham the God life, who's walking with God, and he's trusting God, and he moves 
to the city life of Sodom and Gomorrah and all those people there. If you're going to live the God life, then you do not separate from godly people. If you're going to live the God life, you're not going to move where all the wicked people are. Now, obviously, we rub shoulders with folks who need to be saved, and we try to give them the gospel, but we don't do what they do. We don't go where they go, and we have a certain separation between us and them. And neither do you make compromises of this nature to enrich yourself. That's why he moved there. So Lot chose what he perceived to be the good life, what would bless him materially. But we already have red flags plopping up all over the place, indicating the good life is not always what it appears to be. Now, in contrast, we see in verses 14 to 18... <clears throat> that uh, God or, or the God life receives the promises and blessings of God. And we see that the Lord reaffirms his promise to Abraham after all these choices are made. And choosing the God life results in the promised re- reward. At verse 14, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lot makes his choice, Lot goes his way, he heads east away from God. Now the Lord says to Abraham, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are. So the Lord instructs Abraham to lift up his eyes and look all around. Lot lifted up his eyes which inspired his selfish desire, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, Abraham lifts up his eyes at the command of the Lord. The Lord tells him to look all around. And he's he's instructed to look in every direction, not just east, which looked like the best, but look north, south, east, west. Look all around you because this is the land you're going to have. And notice how long the promise is for. In verse 15, for all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. So it's more than just the now, the material that you can have in this life, the good life that you can expect now. It's for eternity. It's forever. It's beyond just uh, the, the, the wealth you can accumulate in your earthly life. The most important thing is your spiritual life, your walk with God, and that will last forever and ever. And the Lord promises that this land will be populated by Abraham's descendants in verse 15. He's going to give it to him and his descendants. And he says, I'll make your descendants of the dust of the earth so that if man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also would be numbered. Now, we know that that promise came true physically and materially. There are nations still extant today that uh, trace their heritage way back to Abraham. All those nations of the Middle East. There have been millions, perhaps billions, since Abraham's day. But the most important part of that promise is not the innumerable physical seed, but the 
eternal seed, this connects back to Genesis 3.15, the promise of the coming one who would defeat Satan once and for all. And the same word that was used there, the seed of the woman, is the word translated descendants here. So Abraham is the one who is carrying forth the promise from God that started in Genesis 3.15 and that his descendants will be forever descendants. So that's beyond the material and the physical. Um, We know that uh, the, the seed is eventually going to result, humanly speaking, in the Lord Jesus Christ the deliverer from sin, death, and hell. So Abraham's descendants are all who place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they will live forever. Then the Lord invites Abraham to survey the land in verse 17. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. And Abraham will eventually do that. Oh, he will center Uh, his living space near Hebron. And this is the assurance of possessing what God has given you. Ancient kings would do this on a regular basis. It was kind of like uh, a modern-day survey where you map out your property, you stake out your property. They would go through all the lands that they had conquered or all the lands under their possession, and that would be a statement to them and the people around them that this is my territory, this belongs to me. And that's what God is doing here as an assurance of his promise to Abraham. That this land, even though it currently has the Canaanite in it, is eventually going to be yours and your descendants. And as we walk in the God life, the Lord's promises become more real and sure to us as well. Now the final thing we have here in verse 18 is that those who choose the God life continue their walk with God. They keep on keeping on. So our narrative, as we see Abraham moving his tent, he goes to dwell by the terebinth trees of Mamre, we'll run into him a little bit later on, which are in Hebron. Hebron is the highest um, uh, location in the land. It's situated about halfway between Jerusalem and Bathsheba to the south. So it's kind of a central location. And he builds an altar there to the Lord. So he starts out at Bethel where he built an altar. He ends up in Hebron where he built an altar. altar. So we start and finish the same way. And we're told in Hebrews chapter 11 about Abraham's faith as a representative of the God life. You remember there that unlike Lot, who ends up choosing the cities of the world, Abraham waited for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was looking heavenward. He was looking future. He was trusting what God had to say. And Abraham's life also affirmed the Apostle Paul's statement written centuries later, which says this, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things which are not seen. 
Abraham walked by faith, not by sight. There is much in the world that tempts us toward the good life rather than the God life. When the next crisis or temptation or life choice comes upon you, which direction will you choose? Are you going to choose the good life that the world presents to you or the God life that promises eternal blessing? Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for the truth of your word. We're thankful, Lord, that when we come to the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we start our journey on the God life. We realize, Lord, that we still are imperfect creatures and we'll make mistakes and wrong choices. But we know, Lord, that in the long run, we'll stay on the God life and you'll help us to do that like you did Abraham. Help us, Lord, not to make unwise choices based on sight and self as, as Lot did, but to stay on that godly path of following your direction even though it may cost us uh, some personal wealth or possessions. But Lord, we realize that that is the best life. That's the life you've mapped out for us. So Lord, help us to make the godly choices as uh, we journey through life. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.